This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford. 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Today in Atenea Americana, we're talking with Adriana Lopez. She is the director of the Mexican Museum in San Francisco. And she came today to our show to talk about the Family Sundays and about the new projects that the museum has, but more specifically about these annual studies of art and natural science that the Family Sundays are presenting to actually come and try one of those hands-on experiences with the museum, with local artists, and even with some university professors that come and talk about this intersection between natural science and art. We want to welcome the Mexican Museum again to Atene Americana. Remember that this and all our shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org and I hope to see you there. Today our guest is Adriana Lopez. She is originally from Venezuela, although she grew up in uh, Florida. And after well traveling and studying all around, she is now the interim director of the Mexican Museum in San Francisco, which brings a lot of Mexican and Latin American art, from traditional art to the contemporary art. She is here to tell us a little bit more about the museum, about the new expositions that they have been bringing and uh, the latest things so welcome thank you i'm so happy to be here <laughs> and to talk about the mexican museum which uh it is an art museum so we do hear that a lot the mexican art museum mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's um a place uh for the appreciation of mexican art but also to tie that art to uh social issues that are happening today in Latin America and to sort of politics and economics and all of the different ways that you can connect art to all these different disciplines. So mm -hmm. so we are an art museum, but much more than that as well. Yeah, more like a cultural heritage mixture. Definitely. It's hard to separate art from everything else, yeah, I find. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's also right. So you are right now on uh, the marina on the fourth uh, Mason area? 
Fort Mason Center, yeah. It's um, old military barracks that have turned into an artistic and cultural center in San Francisco. So we're there with some really wonderful organizations, and we're in Building D as in dog. You are also on construction for a new building. Close to the MoMA, close to the Jewish Museum, right in front of Yerba Buena Garden, the new headquarters of the museum that are going to be there. Yeah, it'll be six times the size of our current museum, which is really exciting with a lot more exhibition space and a whole floor devoted to educational programs. So we're we're incredibly excited about that. We started construction two months ago now in, in February, which seems really wild to think about it. It's been 20 years in the making. Um, so now that that construction has actually started. It's it's a very exciting moment for the museum. Yeah, because during all these 20 years, you guys have been trying to find funding. Yeah. To, even though when they rebuild the area, they assigned that lot for you guys. You just haven't been able to use it in all this time because... Well, money is important. <laughs> money is important. It definitely yeah. is. And the museum has had its ups and downs throughout the years. And uh, we're just so happy to be on the, the upside of it. And now... <laughs> Finally, finally, thanks to some really wonderful partnerships in the community and a lot of important uh, players sort of supporting the museum throughout many years, we have a lot to be thankful for to to the San Francisco community for helping us get this open. And you also got a very impressive architectural firm, the Ten Architects. Yes, Ten Architectos, led by Enrique Norton, uh, they are spearheading the construction of the building, and the facade actually is uh, being designed by another artist from Mexico. Well, he's Dutch, but mm-hmm. is based in, Mexi- in Mexico City. His name's Jan Hendricks. So there's a lot of really exciting people working on the construction of this building. Tell us a little bit about this new thing that you guys have been doing since last year, where you are trying to mix a little bit between natural science and art and uh, the cultural impact of some of these biological entities. Yeah, so it's part of this program called Arte Ciencia Naturaleza, so art, science, nature, that we have developed with the University of California, Davis, UC Davis, and uh, the idea is to find uh, connections to nature in the Mexican Museum's collection. So it's only two years old. Last year, our focus was corn. So we studied the different uh, but the different types of corn that grow in the different regions in Mexico. And uh, also, we made corn husk dolls. Uh, so the kids were able to make art while also learning about the science of it. And uh, we then, this year, decided to focus on chia, which actually a lot of people don't know this. It, it has a very deep, deep roots in Mexican culture, going back to the Mayans and the Aztecs and other indigenous groups. And we're, we're studying that um, and also talking about the biology um, of chia and what makes it so good for us. Mm-hmm. And also making art on the way, of course. Yes, when... Uh you talk a little bit about the importance of the corn in Mesoamerica. I definitely can picture, you know, even those rituals and those dances and those big um, ritual customs they used to use. I, I see it right away, that food that we taste and love, different kind of beans and the, and the corn. But chia, you know, it's not the first thought that you 
I don't know, not what it comes to your mind when you think about something that really influences the cultural life of the indigenous people in, in Mexico. Yeah, you really don't know um, that that's really where it comes from. But uh, so Chia actually comes from a Mayan word for power because it gave uh, warriors and hunters power. Mm -hmm. So they would just drink water and Chia and basically could go on these really long journeys. And um, it was central to uh, different spiritual ceremonies that would happen. Uh, like in Teotihuacan, we can actually trace the steps of some of um, the inhabitants uh, by seeing the remains of the chia seeds because they were part of these rituals um, that were part of uh, daily life. So uh, chia was actually a major part of life, but we just don't really hear about it because during the colonial period, uh, we saw a decrease in chia production in um, that part of the world. And then um, I actually read about um, some of the long journeys that some of the indigenous groups were sent on during the colonial period, and that's actually all they lived off of was chia and water. As chia was sort of disappearing from the culture, they were still using it for life. So really an, an interesting history there that we don't hear about as much. Well, yeah, because uh, it does have a lot of these medicinal properties. Traditionally, people used to use herbs and things around to cure and, mm -hmm. and get better and get stronger. So it makes a lot of sense now that it has come with this new hype. Everybody putting Shia in everything so they are healthier. <laughs> Exactly, but we have artwork that has chia oil in the paint, and um, we can see that chia oil was used for healing skin, different uh, skin ailments. Uh, so, so yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a popular thing um, in Mexico for a long time, and I think we're just finding out about it. Easy. Y como no me iba a acercar Si es la más linda del lugar Seguro que seré uno más que miedo Mi hermana una vez me juró Que a las niñas les gusta más El más risueño y no el más guapetón And today we are talking with Adriana López the interim director of the Mexican Museum. Estoy obsesionado de hace días. Yo vine porque estás aquí. Me dijo alguien que estaba allí y sabe que te. What do you have in your collection that shows the chia and the chia tradition? Like I mentioned, we have some objects that have uh, chia oil in the paint, but mm -hmm. uh, mostly what we have is um, this chia art, so these terracotta animal figures that uh, were used to plant chia seeds. So it's sort of, I, I think, where the chia pet comes from, but they're <laughs> much more beautiful. And um, we have a lot of them from the Nelson Rockefeller collection of folk art, which was given to us by Anne Rockefeller, a mm -hmm. big, big supporter of the museum. They used to, to make they used to put uh, chia seeds in terracotta art, mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. kind of terracotta art. Yeah, and they're so beautiful cool. sort of fantastical figures. Like we have one that's um, a mouse, a rat man, um, different 
like deer with very beautiful antlers. Uh, so they are um, really gorgeous sort of animal or a combination of animal figures made out of terracotta. Those are some of the ones we see. But then you really have all kinds of different um, chia. In the end, they're chia pots, but they're, they're sculptures <laughs> at the same time. You were mentioning Anne Rockefeller, and she got a lot of the connection from her dad. I remember meeting her a couple of years ago, I think, in the museum. Mm -hmm. She is uh, very involved with the Mexican Museum, and they have this huge collection of Latin American art. And uh, they have even have a lot of pieces that they haven't been able to write down exactly who made them and how. They just got them because they were amazing and quite a few years ago. But they have this huge collection, and she is uh, lending or giving away a lot of that to this museum. Oh, yeah, she donated a huge part of the Nelson Rockefeller collection of mm -hmm. Mexican folk art to the museum. Uh, so we've had that for, for a while now, and it's one of my favorite parts of the Mexican Museum's collection. It's just so colorful and and. Uh, to not use the word again, I'm sorry, but fantastical because there are just like the most beautiful figures um, you see a lot in Mexican folk art and really show uh, the incredible imagination of some of these artists mm -hmm. who were, a lot of them, untrained artists. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes that's why we don't see names because um, they were sort of just artisans. It was just, yeah, it was just folk art that you would f buy on your travels and, mm -hmm. and, um, And then, you know, they end up in a museum and, and we wish we knew who someone <laughs> wrote it down for us. Um, so we knew we can we can guess, though, mm -hmm. for, for a lot of um, the better known folk artists, we can mm -hmm. sort of guess who made them. Um, and, and we do have signed pieces, but some of them are a mystery. Yeah. Other than the folk art, what other pieces you have? You have a lot of old and new artists. And we were talking before about the Riveras and uh, how Guadalupe Rivera is also trying to bring more of her father there are to there. One of them is the only mural that survives in San Francisco right now. She as a head of the Rivera Foundation. She's bringing more art or trying to bring more art. She's also part of the museum, the Mexican Museum. She has been a great collaborator for you guys. Yes, yes. She's a, also, like Anne Rockefeller, a major supporter of the Mexican Museum. Uh, Dr. Guadalupe Rivera y Marin has fought for the mural um, at City College to be placed in the Mexican Museum. And she... I, mentioned that in her last talk um, we hosted at UC Berkeley. Uh, and yeah, she's definitely always had a deep love for the Mexican Museum because San Francisco was such a big part of her father's life. Mm -hmm. uh, Diego and Frida spent a lot of time in San Francisco and, and were really, um, they really fell in love with the city. So I think that his daughter has maintained that love for San Francisco. Mm -hmm. do, do you have other pieces of him that are not that mural? Yeah, unfortunately, they're not on display anymore in the, in the two exhibits we have at the museum right now. Uh, they were they were up just a few months ago, and um, we actually have some of his paintbrushes as well, which is always exciting to see um, something that he used to make, these incredible pieces. Uh, so we do, and, and thanks to other very generous donors throughout the years, we do have work um, from 
from Los Tres Grandes, the three muralists, uh, Siqueiros Orozco and Rivera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, and it's always so beautiful to see how much those three artists influenced a lot of the other artists of the time. So we just did a show recently called Maestros, where we had the Los Tres Grandes, but also artwork from uh, the sim- the same period and and how they sort of um, can be contrasted and and linked to the work of of those three artists. What other big artists normally come every year in your exhibitions? That, uh, as you say, they are moving. Uh, you put one thing from your 17,000 <laughs> pieces that have in storage. Yeah, yeah. We have from pre-conquest to contemporary art. So with very little exhibition space that we currently have, we're always trying to rotate um, so more people can see more of the collection. Uh, right now we have an exhibition of art from New Spain, so from the colonial period, a lot of beautiful sculpture. And uh, we also have an exhibition of the art of our founder, which is just such a fabulous, fabulous exhibition. They'll both be up until May 22nd. And uh, our founder's name is Peter Rodriguez. He was a Chicano artist. Um, His predominant style is abstract expressionist. And um, this is actually one of the few uh, solo shows that he's had in his lifetime in a museum. So it's uh, some artwork that's never really been seen before outside of the Rodriguez family. So we we do invite everyone to come see it uh, before it closes on May 22nd. Can you tell us a little bit about family programs that you have? Yes. Yeah, we have family Sundays. We've actually had those since the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arte Ciencia Naturaleza is this new um, science-related family Sunday that we're trying to do every year. But family Sundays happen four times a year. They are activities that are for the whole family, so something that adults and children can do together. Uh, We try to always have something um, hands-on about the Family Sunday and then also something um, that will link different disciplines. So it's really beautiful to see how art can connect to science and to math and to literature. So Family Sundays allow us to just use art as a vehicle to learn about something else. And and I think that's one of the beautiful powers of art. So that's, that's sort of our Family Sunday program, but we do have talks and uh, programs uh, more geared towards adults uh, that we offer at the museum, usually on Thursday nights. And um, sign up for our newsletter on the website and and just keep following us our, our programs because they're always free. And I think it's hard to find anything that's free in San Francisco these days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. R- right now, you're going to be doing the arts and science, uh, natural science exhibition uh, for this uh, quarter. Every quarter, you have a different topic for the family day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our last topic was um, music and abstract expressionism, and it was based on the artwork of Peter Rodriguez. And uh, we sort of showed the emotional roller coaster that music can take us on and how that can be reflected in our artwork that we create when we're trying to really link up to our emotions and our emotional state. So uh, that was the last Family Sunday, and our next Family Sunday is kind of a surprise, so I won't (laughs) give away too much, but um, we're inviting an artist to lead a workshop at the museum, so that'll be more visual art-based. And last year, other than uh, music and uh, and art and the one about science, what else do you have? 
So we had the corn husk doll making. We've made uh, different, we made retablos around uh, Christmas time. Uh-huh. Um, so that was really fun. Uh, we've so they, done, they are like um, nacimientos. They are like um, in, a, in a piece of wood. Retablos yeah, were retablos. usually made on tin, and we see some on copper. But we were ma- we weren't um, actually making them uh, the the way that they did in the colonial period. But we were teaching kids how to um, mimic the um, the form and the sort of format of a retablo. With you have your scene, and then you have your story that you write about the scene, um, and it's something that's close to you that you would keep in your home. We did that sort of around the religious around the religious theme that retablos usually stick to but we kind of open it up it could be really any scene that that means something to you or that teaches you some sort of life lesson Mm -hmm. and we've also done um, printmaking with uh, Misión Gráfica so um, yeah we we've really partnered with a lot of community groups for our family Sundays uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the years and I've only been at the museum for two years, so I can't say that I've, I have been doing too many family Sundays, but they've been going on um, now for, for, I guess, almost over 30 years. This is Atenea Americana, and I am your host, Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. This is a bilingual cultural show bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe every week for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish, from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. Today, we are talking with Adriana Lopez, the interim director of the Mexican Museum. You actually majored you were on uh, Venezuelan contemporary art. Well, I actually wrote my master's thesis on a Peruvian photographer. Um, his name is Martin Chambi, and I've always been really interested in um, the intersection of politics and identity issues and art. And so Martin Chambi was one of the first photographers to start defining the indigenous culture of Peru, of, of his own indigenous identity. So he was one of the first artists to uh, make that image of Machu Picchu popular. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he would sort of stage these scenes of different Incan myths and uh, take pictures of them and then they'd be included in these like travel magazines and things. Mm-hmm. So he was really defining uh, sort of Incan like culture an, and identity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's, to- it's totally that use of photography for identity formation. And so that's actually, I am from Venezuela, so I always was doing work around um Uh, I'm more of a modern art girl, <laughs> geometric, abstract art specifically. But um, but I just really got into um, the work of Martin Chambi, mm-hmm. and that's what I ended up writing my thesis on. The artist normally has something to say. It's not just painting something. They want to have some uh, a message behind that, and it's about what they're feeling and what they're living. And uh, in Latin America in general, uh, politics and uh, social issues are very much part of everyday life. We live 
talking about that more than you see in the United States. So mm-hmm. a lot of these artists, they have a lot of opinions that they want to put out there. And that's what their art, most of them, they have, it's a big content, as you say, of their art. So it's showing, it's a critique about something or an opinion about something. Always, even yeah. in geometric abstract art. So you have something that just appears to be shapes and forms, but it's actually breaking the norm. And um, in some of these cultures, where uh, people are silenced basically by the government or by society. Art is almost the perfect, and especially abstract art, is a perfect way to rebel against that because you're saying everything with with very little. What I find a lot in uh, these artists, well, maybe it's not a rule for everybody, but it's not just about the feeling of the morning or the intense sunrise or this storm. This topic's about the fragile life or the impending death or the the deepest love, the power of nature. Or these topics are really exploring a lot of arts, but in this case, is uh, is about I'm oppressed by something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see poor people being oppressed by something else or there is this big injustice and I'm connecting to that and I'm showing you that. That's what drew me to studying Latin American, not just because I'm from Venezuela, but just because the art was so politically loaded. I I was a political science major, um, and I just started realizing that so much substance is in Latin American visual art, and then it can be such a vehicle to talk about all of these political and social issues. The Mexican Museum also carries some uh, other nations' art. It's also the Mexican-American art and Mm -hmm. Latin American art. Because our founder was Mm -hmm. Mexican-American, the collecting focus was Mexico Mm -hmm. uh, for for many years. And um, there's art from other countries, but for the most part, it's Mexican and Mexican-American and Mm -hmm. Chicano art. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there is art from Peru. There's art from Colombia. So there are art... There's art from other countries, and I think as the museum grows into this new space and there's more exhibition space, we will uh, start, you know, really exploring the connections of uh, different uh, countries and and inviting in more um, nationalities into the conversation. Uh, But for right now, I would say the majority of our collection is definitely Mexican Mexican. and Mexican-American. And uh, you're going to have big spaces now to, to bring huge pieces it's not gonna be whatever you can put in a wall or in a small gallery now you you're gonna Mm -hmm. have big exposition spaces like to bring i don't know something maybe of maybe a size of an elephant or something oh yeah huge exhibition spaces which we are currently in the process of naming so we have a endowment campaign going on right now and uh, actually Ann Rockefeller and Guadalupe Rivera y Marin have named two of the galleries mm-hmm. in the new space um, so there'll be the Diego Rivera and the Nelson Rockefeller gallery mm-hmm. uh, which will be very very exciting um, to see it um, as more of those spaces are named um, after our our supporters, our longtime supporters of the museum. So, yeah, you can actually fit an elephant in there and then name it after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, and uh, that we're expecting for 2017. In the meantime, you guys are in uh, formation. 
Yeah, 19, uh, 2019, and, and we'll be in Fort Mason until then. And if you pass by third and mission, you'll start seeing that building go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're very, very excited about that. Yeah, and that's that's a great spot because all the cultural things are booming there. And, uh, well, now they are redoing uh, the MoMA right there that is also going to be ready this year. Yeah, it opens in May. Good news for the city. <laughs> it is great news for the city. And there are even groups that are fighting for more public art in the area. There's a nonprofit called Sites Unseen, and they're working to bring uh art to public spaces in Yerba Buena. So not only will you walk through all these museums, but you'll actually see art in the alleyways of Yerba Buena. So the whole place is just going to be a total center for arts and culture in San Francisco. You were telling me that uh, you also have some expositions uh, in the city who are trying to bring some expositions, the Mexican Museum. Yes, we have one currently at the uh, Jewish Community Center at the JCC of San Francisco that's up until June called Que Rico, Que Bueno, and it's a selection from our collecting area. So you'll see from uh, pre-conquest to contemporary art there. And we are working on other um, exhibitions which uh, are still in the works, but we'll be announcing those soon um, in spaces throughout the Bay Area. Well, good luck, and we're really looking forward to be there to this uh, Family Sunday and to many more. Yes, wonderful. Please do come by and we are always free. So we welcome um, any, especially students who want to come by. Um, they're always welcome. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.